Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right, now let's go to the hotline and bring in News Nation border correspondent Allie Bradley. You can watch her on News Nation. Find her reporting at NewsNationNow.com and follow her for all the latest on X at Allie Bradley TV. Allie, you've been breaking news left and right tied to the Lakin Riley case and information about not only her suspected killer, but those in his orbit as well. What's the latest? Yeah, so we're actually down in El Paso because this is the area where we learned that Jose Ibarra crossed into back in September of 2022. Uh, this was kind of one of the busiest crossing points um, in the area at that time when they were kind of dealing with their state of emergency and their influx in illegal immigration. But we also learned that Jose Ibarra was only in uh, Border Patrol custody for 21 hours, Ryan, before he was released on parole, which allowed him to really roam freely around the country. And then not long after that, he actually got arrested in New York in August of 2023 for endangering a child, a minor under 17. And what some reports are showing is that he was on a motorized scooter or moped, if you will, and the kid didn't have a helmet on and he didn't have a license. So a lot of lawmakers are saying that Jose Ibarra should have been removed right then and there. CBP saying the same, that, you know, if, if he was arrested, he should have been deported, basically. Um, so there's a lot of nuances there, too, because Venezuela is not taking flights back. That's a story for a different day. Uh, but then you have the person that he crossed over with, a woman and child. Well, they were not actually um, processed as a family unit. He was processed as a single adult. So she says that they got married to merge their asylum cases. She claimed that they'd known each other for a long time. Um, she says that they later split, and that's when he went over to Athens, Georgia, which is where his brother Diego was living. Well, Diego, we just learned, crossed in April of 2023, also into El Paso. But when he crossed, there was a violent altercation that took place involving him another man and a border patrol agent. They actually assaulted a border patrol agent, according to CBP documents. And that border patrol agent, um, they chose not to prosecute it under for Diego because Diego claimed he had epilepsy and he was actually turned over to ICE uh, for removal. And instead he was processed and paroled out again during a very busy time during El Paso's migrant surge. Well, That happened, and the guy that he was with, what's really interesting here, Ryan, he didn't claim he had epilepsy, and he is sitting in jail right now at a correctional facility as a felon, sitting in jail for 22 months for assault on a federal agent and also for illegal entry. So you have these individuals that are all tied up into this mess, right? And they all were in the custody at some point, and multiple times at some point, right? Because then Diego goes up to Athens, Georgia, and he's arrested three times, most recently Friday where he was using a fake green card to try to work at the UGA dining hall. So there, all of these elements are just starting to really come out, and it's really shining a light on the system and or the lack of processing that is really able to be done when we're seeing this many people come through. We've been reporting it. We've been talking about what's yeah. going to happen when we don't have time to process these individuals, when we don't have agents to process them, when we have too many people and we don't have space. What happens? This. 
This is exactly what happened. He was in custody for 21 hours. Most people are in custody for 72 hours, Ryan. This guy was out not even a full day, right? And so you have all these elements that are coming into play right now. We talked with Representative Mike Collins today, who is slamming the city's decision to be a sanctuary city in Georgia. He is calling for individuals to resign, whether it be in New York or in Georgia, because, again, both um, situations, they had the opportunity to work with ICE and chose not to. I've talked with DHS. They're very frustrated because this is this comes down to they wouldn't honor the detainers or would release these individuals before detainers were placed on them. And that's what happened in New York. And so, you know, there's a lot of um, calls for change right now, Ryan. So we'll see what happens here moving forward. Yeah, this story is really highlighting failures on so many different levels when it comes to our immigration system. Again, we're joined by News Nation border correspondent Allie Bradley. You can check out all of her reporting up to the minute on X at Allie Bradley TV. So just so I'm clear, the murder suspect here in this Lake and Riley case, Jose Ibarra, he came into the country and he claimed asylum at the southern border. Is that what initially happened, even though he was a, a single male, but he was with a woman and a child? Yeah, I mean, every all of them are, are coming over to claim asylum so they can go through the asylum proceedings, right? Nobody's coming in and just going, I'm not here for anything. You can remove me. Right. They're saying, no, I don't want to go back to my home country. And so they're, they're claiming asylum to get through the processing. Again, most people are given a notice to appear, right? Six to nine years out. He was given a notice to report NCR basically on a parole. So um, at some point, he's, uh, you know, was allegedly supposed to report at some point. I'm digging in to find out if there was ever a, do- a date ever presented for him. DHS says he believes that there's one coming up in 2024 that he has not yet met. So I'm kind of digging into that a little bit more. Um, but when it comes to this situation with the processing and with uh, what he was going through, again, most of these individuals, when they get an NTA or, or whatever it might be, um, it might be six years out. But here's the thing. What was going on back in 2022 and then in, all the way up until April of 2023, there were mass paroles. We were seeing that. And a judge came down and cracked down on that in May and said no more use of parole for that. It has to be for case-by-case basis and use, it cannot be used in this like prosecutorial discretionary way where just anybody coming over, you get, you get to be paroled into the country. So a judge basically put the kibosh on that. And so we haven't seen those kinds of exact case scenarios playing out. Right. But we do see most of the migrants, vast majority are released with a notice to appear. Some of those six plus years out. Last question for you. We're learning that president Biden is going to visit the Southern border. Former President Donald Trump is also going to be visiting the southern border and where they're both choosing to go along the southern border. That is what I find fascinating. I find that a little bit fascinating, too, Ryan, because, of course, President Biden has made one other trip to the southern border that was in El Paso. And that was right after um, uh, it was right after Jose Ibarra crossed into the country, actually, it was about four months after that. And so he came here with the anticipation that he would see a big influx and problem, right? But remember, we reported it. So did every other outlet that El Paso was pretty much cleaned up by the time President Biden got here. Well, President Trump is going to Eagle Pass. President Biden is going down to the Rio Grande Valley this week. That's McAllen. That's Brownsville. Remember the end of Title 42. Holy cow, Brownsville was exploding. That's not the case at all right now. When's the last time you guys heard about the valley? Yeah. Or when's the last time you heard about McAllen? It's been a minute. It's been since basically May 12th when Title 42 ended. 
there hasn't been a problem down there hardly at all. Things have been managed. Um, I do believe that they are probably going to, um, you know, see numbers kind of start to climb again because the spring's coming and that's just inevitable. But to head down to that area is a little perplexing. I even kind of put it out on X saying, this is a weird choice to me. And it kind of is because why not go to San Diego? Why not? Right now, they're, they're seeing 1,300 people were released in three days on the streets there. Why not go to, you know, Sasabe, to Tohono Odom, and go and meet with our native partners down in the Tucson sector that are being inundated, and they're seeing over 2,000 people a day, right? Why not even, hey, why not go to Eagle Pass, where, you know, you have this massive federal battle, and why not, why not try to have a conversation? What does that look like? You know what? Down in the Rio Grande Valley, I just don't really know what is really going to be accomplished. And that's basically echoing what agents I've talked to as well, who learned that he's going down there. You know, they're like, why? Why the valley? So we'll see what he finds when he goes down there. Allie Bradley, border correspondent for News Nation. You can watch her on News Nation. Find all of her reporting at newsnationnow.com and follow her for up to the minute updates at Allie Bradley TV on X. Allie, uh, really great reporting on all of this over the past couple of days. Thanks so much for taking a few minutes for us. We appreciate it. I'm only as good as my sources, my friend. Thank you for having me. Right now, let's get to more of the biggest stories making news this morning. We're joined now by our national correspondent, Rory O'Neill, whose reports brought to you by Mark Spain Real Estate. So, Rory, another primary contest happening today, this one in Michigan. What are some of the things we should be watching for? Well, there are interesting numbers to look, look for on Democratic and Republican sides. On the Democratic side, we want to see just how many people vote uncommitted. This is a push by Arab Americans, Muslims, Palestinians. Uh, living in Michigan, which has a large Arab population, uh, trying to send their message to the Biden administration that they don't want uh, the war in Gaza to continue. They want a ceasefire as soon as possible. So we'll see just how high that number of uncommitted gets up to. And then on the Republican side, just how big will the margin of victory for Donald Trump be? There's some, some of the latest polling shows he could win this thing by more than 50 points. If you think 20 points in South Carolina was a blowout, a 50-point margin, oof, that's um, going to make next Super Tuesday seem a long way away. Which is interesting because in Michigan, it's it's considered you know swing state at this point. But because you're going to have so many Democrats voting likely in the Democratic primary, it's not the same setup as we've seen in South Carolina um, or New Hampshire, then uh, that's going to run up those Trump numbers. I mean, you're going to have Republicans uh, voting in that Republican primary. They're going to be the predominant uh, voting block. And, and that shows you within the party itself, you know, despite Nikki Haley coming within 20 points in our home state of South Carolina uh, or, you know, a little bit closer in New Hampshire, when it comes to just Republicans voting, there's a wide margin between her and Trump. Yeah, so that will be on display, I think, today and then again next week if, if Haley is still in the mix. Right. And uh, another story you're covering this morning, House leaders heading over to the White House today to try to negotiate a deal preventing a government shutdown. What's the timeline like for that now? Uh, March 1st is the next oh, okay. government shutdown. Right so it corner. seems like we do this every six weeks, but here yeah. we go again. There is a big meeting at the White House today with the president and the top four leaders from the House and Senate, the majority and minority leaders on both sides. 
It may be an ice cream social, judging by the president last night. But they're trying to avoid a shutdown in an election year. The Speaker of the House, Speaker Johnson's got a big problem on his right hand side with a lot of the more conservative members saying that they are demanding more in spending cuts. They don't like Johnson's agreement with Schumer on a top line figure of $1.6 trillion in spending. They wanna see more cuts, they wanna see changes at the southern border as well. Uh, and Democrats are trying to get more money in their uh, approved for Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan. So it's uh, both sides are doing a lot of heavy lifting here. We'll see if we could avoid a shutdown on, on Friday. Yeah, what did Biden make some comments about this on? Uh, he was on with Seth Meyers last night. Yeah, all the way up to D.C., all the way up to rather from D.C. to New York to be with Seth Meyers and to go out for some ice cream. The president talking about the situation in Gaza. He said he has reason to be optimistic that they could announce a ceasefire by Monday. Uh, that would be the start of the holy month of Ramadan. So perhaps there's some good news in, in brokering some sort of a ceasefire deal. Again, this goes back to that Michigan vote for uncommitted. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see if that number tops 10,000 because flashback to 2016, uh, Donald Trump beat Hillary Clinton by 10,000 votes uh, in the state. Now, Biden carried it by 150,000, but that, that 10,000 figure is pretty symbolic. You know, when he meets with House leaders and they do this negotiation for the government shutdown, it really should be. Uh, a setup where they have like pizza and ice cream. And I just feel like kind of like we do for big meetings here yeah. at the radio station. Yeah. You're more likely to make a deal if you're, you know, eating some good comfort food and, and all of that. I feel like there's a better no, chance. No, no, of no, 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 no. Lots of water, lots of water and no bathroom access until well. the deal is done. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. And then finally, somebody real quick. in the room, somebody in the room may be wearing diapers. I'm not going to yeah. make it. <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking. Uh, last thing I want to get to real quick. House Republicans there are a few of them. They want to rescind the invite for President Biden to give a State of the Union address. And I got to tell you, as somebody, and you're in the same boat as me, Rory, who's got to cover that that night right. and then do the morning show the next morning. I'm hoping this thing gets canceled, too. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a nice Saturday afternoon. Uh, yeah. yeah. So here's the uh, Congressman uh, Scott Perry, who used to be the chair of the Freedom Caucus in the House. He says that Speaker Johnson should disinvite the president for the State of the Union now set for March 7th. Uh, he said there's no reason the invitation should be extended. Why give him this big pl- platform uh, considering the situation at the southern border? Of course, according to the Constitution, a speech to a joint session of Congress is not necessary, mm-hmm. but the president has to give some sort of an update to the State of the Union. It could be a memo. Right. It could just be uh, a quick uh, note, uh, email uh, to Congress. That's all we really need. All right. Rory O'Neill, our national correspondent with us this morning. Rory, thanks so much. Thanks, guys. Yeah, that's going to be brutal, that State of the Union. It's just going to be late. And with Biden, it's I'm telling you right now, it's going to drone on. It's It's going to go too long. Yeah. And then going to have to turn it around, do the morning show the next morning. I'm Uh, really sorry to hear that. I would love nothing more. Anything I can do to help you? Um, I'm all in favor. Uh, Contact your uh, House Republican congressman and push for them to cancel the State of the Union. That's what everybody needs to do. Uh, But I think that that's going to be a really important State of the Union address for Biden because He's got to show that he can make it through a speech. Right. Yeah. I think that's going to be the interesting part about yeah. this is how much does he screw up? Right. That's This is key uh, for his reelection bid. Wendy's is preparing to test an Uber style surge pricing model where prices will fluctuate throughout the day based on demand. So you got to wait longer to get your burger and it's going to cost you more money if you go at lunchtime. Right. Uh, so a burger would 
do that. It would cost more during the lunchtime rush. Wendy's CEO Kirk Tanner announced a new system on a call with investors saying the new pricing will begin testing in 2025. So with this setup, a single quarter pounder burger priced at, and we'll just go with an example from a Wendy's in New Jersey. It's five ninety nine at that Wendy's in New Jersey, which don't even get me started on that. Does I mean, that include fries? No, and no, that's just the burger. Jeez, oh, I'm not going there anyway. Then <laughs> that could increase by as much as a dollar during lunchtime, pushing it to six ninety nine. But then during like mid morning hours or late afternoon times in between lunch and dinner, the price could drop below five ninety nine by as much as a dollar. So it just depends on when you're going, how much you're going to pay for it. I and, and to make this work, Wendy's is spending twenty million dollars on these high tech digital menu boards because the prices have to, you know, change. Yeah, the they day. can't yeah. have a solid menu board. I just don't understand the the surge pricing aspect like why because yeah, they see an opportunity to make more money but i'm thinking i'm taking my lunch at two o'clock now you yeah know what i mean to, it, to save the money i've also exactly. noticed that the wendy's x account is awfully quiet right now and usually they are funny. full of snark and right. funny stuff but they have no comment on any of this that's really interesting <laughs> yeah like when there's surge pricing for ubers as annoying as that is a lot of it's you know supposed to be supply and demand yeah there's supply and demand issue with wendy's burgers yeah i don't know it's not like they they're in danger of running out of burgers (laughs) during the lunch like i I just and and going back to the price of some of these burgers so that quarter pound cheeseburger 5.99 in new jersey it's 8.19 in times square yeah that's absolutely insane and yeah i guess wendy's is the most expensive fast food in the country right is now. it really yeah yeah but and i always feel like chick-fil-a is expensive because every time yeah. i go there for just me and my son it's like 25 bucks I and mean, wendy's I, I think wendy's is pretty good i like all of them there, there really isn't one that i don't like uh it wouldn't be my preference i mean chick-fil-a would obviously be number one and then mcdonald's probably number two but uh i mean i'm not paying 8.19 <laughs> for- <laughs> no that's in times square but i'm not paying 8.19 for a wendy's for a burger hamburger i know <laughs> no this, kidding me this is really ridiculous and i don't don't know if it's going to go over well or not i mean i, I guess so. people who really like wendy's and really want a burger and have to go at yeah. noon they're going to pay it but or at lunchtime do you pick one of the other places to go right to pay a little less <laughs> no the other restaurants are probably going to start doing it if it works let's hope not family of a seven-year-old girl who died on a family vacation here in florida speaking out for the first time a week ago sloan mattingly was playing in a hole on a beach with her brother when the sand collapsed this is what her uncle had to say about his niece the incident and its impact on the family. I got a text message, as did everybody on the group chat, to call um, a number for a a conference call. Once we got all on the line, my brother David said, okay, I've got what I hate to tell you is going to be the worst news of your entire life. And and it was. Um, And he said that she had passed away, that Sloane had passed away. Later, we found out that the uh, after the sanded cave, she kept trying to grab up Maddox's leg to get up out of the sand. And uh, sorry. And uh, eventually, he couldn't feel her moving anymore. And uh, the sand had been up to his chest, and he was screaming for help. And a lot of people did come and help. There's actually some video of that. She was non-responsive at the scene, is what we know. Can you imagine the trauma 
and we didn't talk about this when we discussed the story last week, the trauma that that brother is going to have to deal with for the rest of his life, that he, he could feel his sister grabbing at his leg. Oh, he will never forget that. And never then, forget that. Yeah, and then she stopped when she, you know, just couldn't it's anymore. Um, so that was what the uncle had to say, and I can't imagine getting that phone call that was going to be a traumatic phone call to begin with, just that your niece passed. But then when you find out how it happened, I know, yes. that's like hard to wrap your head around. It is. Uh, we're also learning more about what happened prior to the sand hole collapsing. A witness said an adult dug the massive hole, which he says was at least 18 feet wide and six feet deep. Huge hole. Here's what he told NBC Miami. Then I saw the father was just beside himself. And I see kids in the hole. I could see the boy a little bit, but all I could see from it, I'm not going to be able to finish this. All I could see was the top of the girl's head. Well, I was walking by the beach and I saw a man, 40-ish years old, thin, medium height, and he was digging a really big hole, like five by five, and up to his chest. And I looked at him, he looked back, and I walked away. I didn't think to go over and tell him not to do it. I'm even upset that somebody would imply that those kids dug that hole. They didn't dig that hole. It was massive. And it ended up like 18 feet by 6 feet. And that's what I said at the time. I'm like, there's no way the kids, they were little kids, no way they dug that hole. Like, what happened? How did that hole get there in the first place? Now it makes a little bit more sense. That it was an adult doing it. But, I mean, you've got to think that the adult probably wasn't doing anything other than being like, I'm on the beach today and I'm just going to dig this big hole. Probably not thinking about the fact yeah. that kids could end up in there, that somebody could fall in there, that it was a hazard. They're just on the beach digging a hole. Right. I think, I wonder if you're going to see more beaches across the state say, hey, you can't with these giant holes. Right. Because you know, it's, it's I feel risky. like now it's happened enough time and this story has been such you know huge news and it's such a tragedy that yeah. that they're going to put a stop to it because i think you just don't know and certainly if you're on the beach and there is a big hole i think as a parent uh you would let your kids Keep go your, yeah, near that yeah something that i probably never would have thought of right. years ago before mm-hmm. hearing these stories and now it's something that definitely would be on my mind yeah see my parents didn't they didn't have to worry about me digging holes or anything like that the beach was i don't like the sand so okay uh, <laughs> oh i'm not a fan of that in Shocking. general yeah <laughs> The Ryan Gorman Show on News Radio WFLA. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Ryan Gorman Show and find us online at RyanGormanShow.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.